So let me read the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. This is God's word. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And Jesus, we know that as you address these things, you you saw into the heart of men and women and uh, the places where your, your kingdom priorities and your your gospel power would utterly transform our lives. And Lord, we already know that this touches on all of our lives and our daily experience and our propensity to indeed judge one another. So I pray that you would speak to us, help us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here to convict us and change us, to, to lead us toward repentance, set us free from the sin that so easily entangles us. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of the message this morning is All Rise, uh, because that's what the bailiff says, right? When the, the judge enters into the court. But, but I have this suspicion that that's also kind of the unheard voice that we believe is cried out in almost every people situation that we enter into. Does the unheard voice proclaim, all rise. Every time we observe people on social media, all rise. The judge has appeared. When we observe people at the grocery store, we observe people at work, at church, at youth group, at family reunions, all rise. Let the judging begin. Jesus is going to indeed address this part of our hearts. But before we jump into our text, I want to just back up a little bit because we've arrived at chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been with us here at Redeemer recently, you know we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. This is the greatest sermon ever preached because this is the sermon that Jesus himself preached to those who would follow him, to his disciples, to Jesus' followers. And we're about, I guess, two-thirds of the way through, and it got me thinking this week about sermons and how we interact with sermons and, and, and particularly this thing that happens maybe sometimes on the way home or maybe at lunch later on. And what I mean is when someone misses the sermon for whatever reason, maybe they're serving in Redeemer Kids this morning or out sick uh, or you're going to catch up with someone later, I think sometimes the question might come up uh, in between bites of Chipotle or on the way home, what was the sermon about? If you missed it, you might ask, what was the sermon about? Do you know that question? And then you're forced to sit there and go, uh, right? And I get it. Don't worry about it. I I often, as time goes by, don't even remember what I preached necessarily. And I trust in God's power right now as we're listening to God's word preached to do what he wants, not our ability to regurgitate it later. But you know this question, what was 
the sermon all about? If you were here last week, maybe you would have said, oh, it was all about worry and anxiety, that section about how, how we, we all experience worry, the presence of worry and anxiety in our lives, and then why we worry, because we can't know the future, we can't control everything in our lives, and then, and then Jesus talks about how he cares for us, you know, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and how much more does God care for us if he provides for them? And oh yeah, there's this Cheeto thing, uh, this thing about the Cheetos all the way from corn to the mouth of the seagull, and, and I, guess, I guess it was about how we just need to trust God. Trusting God, our Father, who cares for us. That was what the sermon was about. And if you were able to say something like that, I think you are right. So I kind of had this, this thought about the Sermon on the Mount. Like, what would you say the Sermon on the Mount has been about so far? Or if, if this thought experiment, if we were to put ourselves there and we're walking away, even, even at the point of where we're at now, and somebody were to say, oh, you listened to Jesus preach? What was the sermon about? And, of course, you'd probably say, well, Jesus totally rocked it, first of all. Totally hit a home run. No question about that. But what would you say this sermon, what is Jesus preaching to us? Maybe you say it was, it was absolutely stunning and mind-blowing. Because he started with this this idea of, of who we are. He started with our identity and our character, but the, the flavor of the whole thing it was as if Jesus was turning the whole world upside down, turning my world upside down. Now that the kingdom of God has come and now that we've entered into the kingdom of God, he started about who the blessed are. And it was so crazy. It was so upside down because it was those who, who mourn and the, those who are poor and those who are hungry and those who are persecuted. But then he gave us this vision for our influence in the world. He said, we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then he, he tied that, that saltiness and that lightness to our, our very character and our holiness connected to the law. But he turned the whole thing upside down because, because the light and salt that we are are going to be activated when we live lives from the inside out, which is so much deeper than the law, with hearts that are, are transformed that are the righteousness so much surpassing the Pharisees because of what Jesus is going to do in our lives. And then he began to address these areas of our lives like our chronic desire to be noticed by others when we do good things, especially in giving and praying and in fasting. And then he addressed this, our chronic sense of worry and anxiety that fills our lives. He addressed that. And he used the word father. He kept talking about God as our father like, like 15 times, it seemed. And then these rewards were part of it. And then he taught us how to pray. Is that what you would say? Because I think that that's faithful. Like Jesus is, is teaching us and, and meaning, meaning to not only explode our minds, but our hearts as well, to see all that is happening now that he has come and is sweeping you and me into his kingdom by the salvation that he's going to provide through his death and resurrection to come for him. That's what's happening. So isn't it interesting that we get to this third area? If there's a sense that we have this kind of chronic fear of man and desire to be noticed and appreciated, dur, 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 you trumpet our, our, our acts of worship for others to notice. Jesus addresses that. And then our, our chronic anxiety and worry, that low level 
distress that exists in all of our lives. Jesus addresses that. And then what does he address next? This third in the series, our chronic flaying of one another with our hearts and minds and lips as we judge one another. This is what Jesus now addresses. Look at verse 1. The command is very clear. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And he continues, and I think that that we can break this this section down into four uh, main points. I think we're going to see, first, the presence of judging others. Uh, It's kind of like last week. Second, we're going to look at the peril of judging others. Third, the hypocrisy in judging others. And then fourth, the necessity of judging others, which kind of seems odd at first, but it's true as you will see. So let's begin where we began last week with the reality or the presence of judging or judgmentalism in our hearts towards others. And once again, Jesus says, don't because we do. Just like last week, we, we do, before that even, practice our righteousness to be seen by others. So Jesus says, don't. We do worry and are anxious about our lives. So Jesus says, don't. And we do judge one another sinfully. And Jesus says, don't. And it's interesting how, how judging others actually, I, I think, becomes almost like a default mode for us. It's almost like the mode we wake up clicked into by default. If you think about what judging is, isn't judging in its simplest form making a choice, making a a determination or a decision or a conclusion between or about one of at least two options? A real judge, you think about the judge seated on a bench in a courtroom, judges between at least one or two things. That's the the task, to judge, to choose, to conclude between right or wrong, legal or illegal, fair or foul. It's a decision. A conclusion is reached. But when it comes to people and judging one another, I've just been wrestling with how ironic it is that judgmentalism is so prevalent, and yet, at the same exact time, it's so taboo in our culture anymore, isn't it? I mean, judging is like, you cannot, you cannot judge, judge people. Who do you think you are? Who, who made you the judge of me? Right? That's, that's just, that kind of it's so, so taboo anymore. I mean, we, what, what do we, we say? We say, not judging, just saying, right? Have you ever heard that? I'm not judging, just saying. Well, why do we even say that? Yes, you are judging and saying. Actually, most often we are judging and not saying, but that's a whole different topic. But why do we even say that? Not judging, just saying, because judging is so taboo. And yet, specifically, and, and especially I'll I'll include myself as Americans, it seems like we are just so professionals at judging. And it's it's the air that we breathe. Have Have you ever noticed that in the last maybe 10, 15 years, I don't know, maybe more than that, our TV has been flooded with shows that have judges, like literal judges 
as a part of the makeup of the show itself. I think all of the Food Network is that anymore, right? I mean, we are an ant. You are not allowed to judge people. That is the ethic that we live by in America, supposedly. But then you turn the TV on, and your dish stinks. Goodbye. I mean, it's just like literal judges, totally judging people, whether it's your cooking or it's your baking or it's grocery games or it's beat Bobby Flay or if it's kids banking. <laughs> Bye-bye. Don't cry. Your cake stinks. Right? I mean, and it's not just that. I saw a commercial that American Idol in its 90-second season is about to start again, Right? And its very premise is about judging singers. That there is an objective, an objective sense that you are a terrible singer. Goodbye. That kind of judging happens. Or you're not as good as the next person. And that judgmentalism as a part of the show goes throughout the entire show. Not to mention America's Got Talent, Dancing with the Stars, The Voice. Not judging, just saying Whatever, right? And then it, it, we, we go into our daily lives. We all know that we tend to judge people, for example, who aren't like us. What are dating apps? Except you form judgments, snap judgments in some cases. Accept or reject based on maybe pretty superficial information at first. Our political climate has disintegrated into a kind of division. We already know that, but it's fueled by pure judgmentalism of the other side. And then again, every day, it's like we're, we're, we're pros at judging other people, people watching, sizing people up. I've told you before, I go to Planet Fitness and everywhere it says no judgment zone, and it's just a joke. That's all everybody does in there. It's a total judgment zone. As is church, as is youth group, because judging, sinful judging is in the heart of man. I think it's sadly what we all do. So Jesus is condemning sinful judging, and, and we've got to know by the context that first, he is condemning sinful judging, that, that negative judgment of others, a hypercriticalness towards others, believing and assuming the worst about others, and particularly others at the level of their motives. This is what Jesus is getting at, and, it, and it's here that, that sinful judging is such a serious problem, because once again, like last week, the root is this desire that we have to be God. Sinful judging at its core is a function of placing ourselves in the place of God, believing that we're all-knowing about each other, that we're all-knowing and all-seeing about everything in that person's life that has led up to that moment that you're judging. And, and in your all-knowingness and all-seeingness, you put on the, the judge hat of God as well and make a determine a determination about what you think is going on in that situation. We draw a conclusion. We make a decision. That's what judges do. Specifically about why people are who they are and why people do what they do. We think like God, we can judge. I wonder how much of the poison 
of gossip is laced with judging first. Or at least the main ingredient of gossip is hefty doses of judging in the first place. And it exists in all of us. One time, a long time ago, my niece and my kid's cousin, I took them out, and I don't even remember where or what, what was going on, but the place had balloons for the kids, so everybody had a helium balloon, and, and we brought them home, and as, as we jumped out of the van, my niece grabbed all of the balloons from all of the kids and then, like, jumped out and then just let them go into the sky. And I was so annoyed with her <laughs> at how blatantly mean that was to just take everybody's balloon and send them into the sky. And so I kind of scolded her and asked her, why did you do that? And she said that she was sending the balloons up to Alexandra, her little sister who didn't survive birth, who was also our other niece and kid's cousin. She was sending all the balloons and had the support of all the kids, of course, to send the balloons up to Alexandra, who was with Jesus. And I just wanted to die. (laughs) You know, I just wanted to melt into the garage door because of how badly I had misjudged her motives, right? And of course, I've done much worse since then and much more since then. But isn't it interesting that if judging is deciding between one of two things, making a, drawing a conclusion, isn't it interesting that we so often choose almost by default the negative conclusion? We don't tend by default to believe the best about each other. We tend to jump to the worst case, to the, to the negative conclusion. We are not charitable towards all most often. It's, it's not that people are innocent in their motives until proven guilty. We judge guilty more often than not. You see, this is why this matters to Jesus, whose kingdom is going to be a kingdom of love, a, a kingdom unlike the kingdom of this world, where these default statuses completely change in our hearts. So Jesus is addressing the presence of sinful judging in our hearts, and he commands against us making ourselves like God in the first place, but then also he condemns entertaining sinful and negative judgments of others, particularly in their their motives. Secondly, because there's a real danger connected to this. There's a, a peril of judging, a peril connected with sinful judging of others. And we see it in verses one and two. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For, or because in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So the the simple point is, if we judge others, God will judge us. And Jesus is not referring to others judging us here. But it's been a pattern that Jesus consistently encourages us, for example, before, uh, to forgive others. 
and we will be forgiven. Or if you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. Or he says elsewhere to be merciful, and you will receive mercy. And here, if we judge, God will judge us. As a matter of fact, with the measure that we judge, it will be measured to us. In other words, Jesus is, is kind of previewing, in a way, the golden rule here. But it's, it's previewed not with the principle of reciprocity in that we earn forgiveness by forgiving others or we earn mercy by being merciful to others. It's not a quid pro quo, get judged and be judged. The issue is our hearts. He's saying judge others like you would want God to judge you. That's what he's saying. Judge others the way that you would want God to judge you. When we get to the golden rule, it will look more like how, how judge others like you would want them to judge you, meaning the golden rule would say, the way you want to be judged by others, then judge them. Meaning, wouldn't you prefer that people assume the best about you first? Or wouldn't you prefer someone to just ask you instead of drawing a conclusion and then maybe even sharing that conclusion with others? Wouldn't you want someone else to assume that life is complicated and that we're all just doing the best that we can? Like, wouldn't you want that? That's kind of the golden rule side of this. But here, Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, judge others the way, the way you want God to judge you on the judgment day. And as a matter of fact, with the same measure that you use towards others, how, what would change in your interactions with others if you knew that God was going to use the same standards and the same measure towards your life? When the scriptures say we're all going to give an account of our God to God for our lives, Things done good and bad, it says in Scripture, right? So it's as if, if, if we think we enter into situations with others and there's this unheard voice that cries out, all rise, the judge is here. I think that voice needs to go away and instead, kind of these caution lights should start flashing. Beware. In any interaction with people where our, our hearts are prone by default to sinfully judge others, Jesus is putting up a caution sign. Beware, beware. There's a danger, a danger to judging others. But then Jesus transitions to the hypocrisy of sinful judging. He says in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. And this, this of course, is a, is a very well-known illustration. It's a powerful illustration, the, the speck and the plank idea that Jesus introduces, the splinter and the log. It's actually uh, quite humorous, probably, for them to hear. Jesus is a brilliant preacher, remember, and he's going to give them an illustration that they'll remember the rest of their lives. Imagine seeing somebody walking down the streets of, pa of Palestine or Judah or whatever city you're from with a, with a log, a tree branch sticking out of their face. And then, not just how weird that would be, but how weird it would be for that person to be really eager to help everybody else get the speck of splinter out of their own eye. Right? There's there's not only humor to this, but there's power to the illustration. And it's interesting because 
at the core, even if your analysis of someone is true, at least to a degree, and is something that requires Christian love and action, if you arrived there through sinful judging, that is the log. If you arrived to this observation of a real speck in someone's eye through sinful judging, then why don't you get the log out of your own eye that you don't seem to, to notice you just participated in in order to eagerly get the speck out of their eye. More broadly applied, Jesus is saying there's a kind of hypocrisy when you see others' sins as requiring action when you have a whole load of sin yourself. Or when you see other sins as more serious. That's the need to get that speck out immediately. When you see other sins as more serious than your own. And the need to deal with your own sin. In other words, there's a huge hypocrisy to constantly and primarily noticing, judging, and acting towards other sins and leaving your own clear and obvious sin unnoticed and untouched. Don't we tend to judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves much more leniently. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Yeah, of course I didn't do I didn't do that, but I meant to, as opposed to somebody else, you didn't do that because you're selfish, lazy, and a jerk. I didn't do it because I meant to, but some things came up in my life, right? It's, there's a hypocrisy to considering somebody else's sin much more serious than your own. And that's the kind of hypocrisy that we do kind of think of because in essence, you're not, you're not living yourself what you say you believe, the definition of a hypocrite. You believe sin should be removed and you consider it serious enough to address in someone else, but you don't really believe sin should be considered serious and dealt with when it comes to yourself. So do you really believe that sin should be dealt with? You don't actually do what you say. So the, the illustration can, can seem humorous to think about a, a log coming out of somebody's eye. Maybe for us, if you went to a surgeon who put boxing gloves on and then asked for the scalpel to remove the little spot, the little mole from your face. Like, isn't there a sense that you'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, can we take the boxing gloves off first? You see, it's not that the mole doesn't need to come off, but can we take the boxing gloves off first so that you'll be much more able to cut into my face and get this thing removed? Isn't it interesting that, that we make this transition, and we're not at the fourth point yet, but it sounded weird before because it's, it's, it's the necessity of judging. Because Jesus isn't telling us not to think. There is a call to, to Christian action as we love one another that requires discernment. And, and seeing specks in each other's eyes. That's a real thing. If we see our brother in sin, we're supposed to go to them, which requires a kind of judging, not sinful judging, but right judging, righteous judging, that that is indeed sinful in the first place. 
right? So there's this, this sense that Jesus isn't, isn't knocking out Christian love toward one another. The key word is first. Did you notice that? The issue is one of priority. It's, it's like last week when, of course, we, we want all of these things in our lives, all of the necessities for our life. We worry about that, and, and we, we want God to provide for those things. But what did Jesus say? He said the remedy is seek first the kingdom of God. There's a holy priority here. That happens. Something happens first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And yeah, all of these things will be added to you. And here again, what does Jesus say? Except first get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own sin first. Why? So that in your act of Christian love towards somebody else, you're not going to knock them out with the, the log in your eyes. You're trying to help them with the speck in theirs. See, this is, this is how it should be in the kingdom of Christ. That's going to be ruled by love toward one another. A love that believes all things and bears all things and is patient and is kind in the first place. A love that will be the new commandment that he gives to us. The love is going to be the air that we breathe in the kingdom of heaven. And love does speak the truth, right? So when you come into those moments, the, the reason you get the log out of your own eye first is so that when you serve your brother and sister in Christ, you'll be able to see clearly. Get the boxing gloves off. And then, yeah, help me. I can't see what's on my face. Help me. But don't come at me with a scalpel in the thumb part of the boxing glove. I'm not into that. I'm not into your discernment of me being clouded by your own sin, especially the sin of how you just thrashed me by judging me. Jesus is just saying, look, start with you. Start with me. If what I see is true in my brother or sister, how am I similarly tempted? If what I see is true, even if I'm not tempted in that area, where am I currently unaware of things that others might see about me that seem so obvious to them too? If what I see is true, if... How would I want someone to love me and help me? Do I treat my own sin and offenses as seriously as I plan to suggest that they treat theirs? If what I see is true, is my goal in helping redemptive, where the gospel and grace wins? Or is it punitive, born out of this, this weird pleasure that I derive in just criticizing people and showing them how sinful they are? Is my goal that they see their sin or offense, or is my goal that they, they see Jesus, who forgives sin and changes us? Because that's what I would want, I think. Look, that's all log work, brothers and sisters. Jesus is, is inviting us to, to fire the voice that says, all rise. And he's recruiting us into log work. Equipping us with a stump grinder. And saying, get after the log in your own eye first. 
He doesn't say neglect your brother. He says then go and help them with the speck in their eye. I think a lot of times we tend to hear this text and we, we think of the, the comparative size of sin. You know, you think log and speck, and, and it's, a, it's a, a size illustration. And so, but, but it's not so much that the point is that your sins are so much bigger and you're criticizing them for a little sin. That's not what it's saying. Because specks are destructive. Specks can, can cause infection that could lead to blindness if you don't help someone out with it. It's not about the relative size. It's, it's about the priority of what happens first and then what happens next in our relationships with one another. Look, Jesus is recruiting us into the, to the log business, but he's not recruiting us away from the love business. We still continue to love one another which does lead to the fourth point, the necessity of judging. Ironically, like, this thing starts, do not judge. So how in the world can you say, just 20 minutes later, judge, right? Well, it's because the difference between sinful judging and righteous judging and discernment. Jesus isn't telling us to turn off our brains, nor is he telling us to turn off our discernment. We're told to think. We are told to judge in righteous ways. An actual speck in someone's eyes should be removed, and that takes discernment, making a decision whether or not it's a speck or not. But Jesus will invite us to judge a tree by its fruit, a person by their actions, and even in the rest of, of this text this morning, we must discern who is unreceptive to the gospel. Look at this sentence in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It's such a, a random sentence in terms of what we're talking about, right? Except it, it actually kind of fits in because Jesus is making an interesting connection to a kind of damage that's done when someone is so resistant to the gospel that to continue to answer a fool according to their folly might do more harm than good. The treasure is obviously the gospel here. And it's an interesting principle about evangelism that we, I don't think, tend to experience this necessarily. But when, when you have the, the proverbs like scoffers and mockers, who, who hear the gospel, and if you keep persisting and sharing the gospel, and they keep re rejecting aggressively to the treasure that is the gospel, Jesus is saying at a certain point, there might be a point of no return. God's wrath, this, his scary wrath is him turning people over in Romans chapter 1. There's a wisdom here that, that you're continuing to, to share the gospel to such a cold heart is actually maybe going to make their heart even more and more cold. So at a certain point, don't throw your pearls before pigs. And that sounds harsh, but these were just, these were just animals that were considered unholy. And if you did that at a certain point, if that, those animals that tasted that and knew that it wasn't food and spit it out and then turned on you, 
all Jesus is saying is that there could be damage in this situation, and it's, it's worth thinking about. But at the core of what Jesus is saying is you must discern that moment. There's a judgment that's, that, that needs to be made in love towards others. It's really an interesting illustration. Certainly a principle exists in there as well, but it's an illustration that doesn't cut off love with regard to our interactions with one another. Jesus is not cutting off love in our interactions with each other or with unbelievers in evangelism. Jesus is cutting off sinfully judging one another, putting our place, ourselves in the place of God and thinking we know why people do what they do. In other words, Jesus wants to be at the center of our interactions with each other too. Not just at the center of our acts of worship before him in secret, in the, in the secret place. Not just at the center of all of God's care for us when we're tempted to worry, but he wants to be at the center of our interactions with one another as well. Because it's in our interactions with each other as well that Jesus is going to change the world. You see, the salt of the earth and the light of the world gets activated when kingdom love is generously spread from our hearts to one another. Look, the gospel is meant to be a rescue and a salvation out of something out of darkness and out of evil and out of hearts that were dead and had, had no choice but to rage against each other. We were hated and hated one another without hope and without God in the world. And Jesus, through his death and, and resurrection, he alone can save. We sung it earlier. He transfers us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of God as ruled by righteousness and love and joy in Christ Jesus. In a sense, it's, it's, a, it's a place of safety from the things that we used to just get flayed and sliced and diced in our life before. And yet how often we come into the very kingdom of God and experience the same thing. Not so among my people, Jesus would say. Not so. That's what, I, that's what he's saved us from. I don't have to tell you that. How bizarre is it? And, and I'm, I'm in this. I'm preaching to myself as much as to, to all of us. But how bizarre is it given one of three things that Jesus addresses in this run, in the Sermon on the Mount, is about judging one another and the reputations Christians have worldwide is how judgmental we are. And I know there's a lot that gets packed into that because we stand for truth. And, and, and standing for truth gets often miscategorized as pure judgmentalism. But we can't get ourselves off that hook because we are judgmental towards one another. Talked about those works of of holiness and, and praying before others, praying publicly and, and serving others and, and certainly checking our hearts so that we're not losing our reward. 
But I left that sermon thinking, I wish that Jesus would say something about judging others, because if somebody does put something spiritual on Instagram, are they necessarily trumpeting themselves in their holiness? Or do they take it down for fear that Christians are just going to say that and them trying to be helpful, they're just going to be judged? You see that? We, we breathe this air, the sin that so easily entangles us, that remains, is something that Jesus is specifically addressing because this is one of the cancers that grows within the people of God until he returns. It grows and destroys and harms in the kingdom of God until he returns, and the kingdom in its fullness is perfection. Look, how can Jesus not address what is so going to blunt our witness in the world because we can't even get our hearts and minds and mouths off each other? Do you ever think that? Could we all just get our hearts and our minds and our mouths off each other's lives in sinful ways? The choices that are made. And if, if you need to go there, because we're not going to get our hearts and our minds and our mouths off of people's lives in loving ways that Christ calls us to, it's going to require a super spirit-led discernment there. But how often do we sin against each other's brothers and sisters? Have I sinned against you in this way? Thinking I know why you did what you did or the decisions you make or the choices that you make. When all the while, God is writing your story, not me. You see, this is, is powerful because this is a sermon whereby Jesus has already alerted us to the world-changing power of love that's going to be distributed amongst us, starting with us, towards each other. They will know that you are my follower, my disciples. How? By your love for one another, which is patient and kind and believes the best and hopes all things and believes all things. So as we close, I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm just so convicted. And I know that, that the powerful thing about the gospel and about Jesus is he, he always looks at us with just the the hugest smile on his face, with eyes of love and concern, but eyes of joy, because this is exactly why he came, to save and rescue and transform us. There's, there's such a grace in the invitation to just simply repent and tell God how sorry we are that, that this too much marks us in our interactions with one another. We can repent of acting like we are God we can repent of believing other sin is worse than our own. We can repent of uncharitable judgments toward others. We can repent of not just what we do, but, but how we are. Why is it, God, that every chance I have, I pick the negative? Please change me. Please transform me by the power of your spirit. The, the spirit of Christ that lives in us is transforming us in this specific area because he means for us, brothers and sisters, to be like him. He is love. 
to be like him and to demonstrate the love that he has shown us toward one another. Amen. Isn't there a grace that just comes from being honest with the Lord and finding the places in your life? And even as we close, I'd encourage you to do that, to just do some business with the Lord here and ask him to, to make us different than when we walked in those doors and to shine more brightly for him in our interactions with each other and those around us and to see him glorified in our lives. That's what we want. Amen. That's what we want. Let's stand together and pray. And worship team, you can come. Jesus, we ask that you would not let this word return empty or void to you. Lord, in my life, I repent of how judgmental I am and how arrogant I am to think that I know why people do what they do. Lord, and how hypocritical it is to be so much more uh, aware and discerning and even really good at describing other people's sins while leaving my own untended to. Lord, I just pray that this would not return empty or void to you, but it would accomplish your desire that you would shape us to be the people who glorify your name, who believe the best about each other, who are prone to, to ask instead of decide or, or conclude. And even where there is real speck that needs to be addressed to be, to be bold and yet humble, to have done the work in our own hearts first. Lord, teach us, we pray. Change us, we pray. Lord, and as we bring our sins to you, we're just so grateful that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, that your blood covers all of our sin. Our sins, they are indeed many, but your mercy is so much greater. So we worship you as we close. In Jesus' name, amen.